Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just to give you a quick update, last week we spoke on giving up to win, which we spoke on how we are to give up our privileges in order that we wouldn't stumble fellow believers. And the final verse that we went over last week was from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I want to share this with you, that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 explains in detail how we should bring our bodies under complete control. In order that we don't disqualify ourselves, like the Israelites who truly disqualified themselves because of their sin, and this is what we're going to see. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. It says, Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse, corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey him? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You know, this is what we have this morning. We're going to be looking at the Israelites. We're going to be looking at just their, their lack of, of, of belief, their sin, their rebellion. And then the Lord is really going to give us just examples of, 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 of just how to overcome these temptations that we ourselves will face. So we're going to look at the Israelites, and not only the Israelites, but Paul wants to speak to us, and the Lord wants to speak to us. And as we know that, that, the, uh, that Paul spoke to the Corinthians. And so when we look at the examples of those who experienced spiritual blessings, which were the Israelites, we're going to see how they failed. And then we're going to see and hear the good news on how to overcome. So based on this, I'm going to give you a breakdown of the study into three sections. And we're going to talk first about the spiritual blessings. And we're going to look at these in verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to look at the spiritual failures in verses 5 through 10. And then we're going to look at the temptations in verses 11 through 13. Again, the spiritual blessings, 1 through 4, the spiritual uh, failures in verses 5 through 10, and the temptation in verses 11 through 13. And so let's look at the spiritual blessings. Let's talk about these, these spiritual blessings. Israel experienced great spiritual blessings. The issue with the Israelites is they couldn't see past their circumstances. They couldn't see past what was before them. And when we look at the spiritual blessings, we're going to talk about five. Five spiritual blessings that, that they received. And they were recipients of these from the Lord himself, from God himself. And so let's read beginning uh, with the first one there in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So the first one is here, the supernatural guidance, as he talks about how they were all under the cloud. All the fathers were under the cloud, and let's talk about being under the cloud. Let's look in, at the scriptures and see where this takes place in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, and let me warn you here, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures, so uh, you may not have time to turn your Bibles. We're going to spend a lot of our time in Exodus, so you may want to put your fingers there, as well as Numbers, and then in, in Corinthians, of course. But the first scripture that we're going to be going over is from Exodus 13, verse 21, that speaks about 
the cloud. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. As a reminder, when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, remember, it was the Lord that took them out. He used Moses as an instrument to lead the people out, but it was the Lord that really delivered the people out of Egypt. And when he delivers them, how was he going to guide them? How was he going to direct them into the promised land? And so he gave them a cloud, as we just read right now. He gave them a cloud by day and a fire by night. Let me remind you where the Israelites were. They were in the desert. And to think about why he would choose a cloud to direct them, right? You think about being in the desert. How many of us have gone to Palm Springs or, or Joshua Tree or any of the deserts that are around us in Arizona and so forth, right? It's pretty hot out there. And God is so gracious. God is so good that he used a cloud. And why would he use a cloud? To bring what? Protection, right? Think about that. I mean, how is he going to shade them from the sun, from the UV, from the ultraviolet rays of the sun? There's a cloud. And so, again, he, let, he chose a cloud, and the cloud would lead them by day. Remember, it was a cloud that was over them. And leading them, remember, this is what was so amazing about this. And we also know that during the night, a cloud couldn't be seen, so he used a fire so that they could see with light at night. And so what, what was amazing about all of this is that when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And how do we know this? Look at what it says in Exodus 40, verse 36 through 37. It says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. So in other words, they would go when the cloud would move, and they would stop when the cloud would move. How amazing this would have been. I mean, just visually picture that in your mind. A cloud moving, and when it stopped, they would stop. And when it moved, they would move. So you see the supernatural direction that the Israelites had. But you know what? When it comes to us, as Paul is reminding them of their spiritual blessings from the Lord, of the Israelites' spiritual blessings, they had the Lord, in, uh, you know, directing them through the clouds and by fire at night. But what about us? You know what? We're no different, right? We all have a spiritual blessing. We see God's supernatural direction. You know, we may not have a cloud that is leading us because we don't need a cloud. But what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit that is leading us. And how do I know that the Holy Spirit leads us? Look at what it says in Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So they had the cloud. We also have the blessing of having the Holy Spirit. And then he mentions the, the passing through the sea. This was now the second spiritual blessing that they saw, which was a spiritual deliverance. They passed through the sea. You know, in Exodus chapter 13, we were told that the cloud and the fire led the people. But in the next chapter, in Exodus 14, it reveals how Pharaoh had a change of heart after he let Jews go, the, the, uh, God's people go. So he went after the Israelites. You know, once they, they were out, he had a change of heart. And he says, you know what, I'm going to go capture them and bring them back. And so as the Jews were escaping, 
They were now at a crossroads. They began to see the army of Pharaoh coming close to them. And so, what were they going to do? As the Egyptians were coming close to the Israelites. The Jews couldn't go forward. They had there the Red Sea that, that didn't allow them to move forward. And so, look at what happens in Exodus 14, verse 13 through 16. It says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So you had this amazing spiritual deliverance and the show of God's hand. And for us, you know what, when we think about this deliverance that they received, right? We're talking about the spiritual blessings that, that Israel had received. What about us? You know what, for us, who is our deliverer? Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that gives us victory. And, and you know what? We're stressing all the blessings because then we're going to talk about failure. So it's all going to come together. You're going to see this coming together. And, and then the next thing that we see here is in verse 2. It says, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does this mean? The word into here is, what is very key. In other words, they were immersed into Moses. They were immersed. Remember, the word baptism means to be immersed. So they were immersed into Moses. And so what this gives us, the, 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 the visual, and this gives us the insight that the Jews were united and identified with Moses. And so, again, through that water, right, through the cloud and, in the, and through that water. And so for the Corinthians, let's look at it this way, right? The spiritual blessings that, that, that we have, and that we have been identified with is, is in our water baptism, right? I mean, when we look at the Lord Jesus, look at what it says in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. It says, or do you not know that as many as of us as were baptized, there's the word again, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of of life. And so we see here, right, that for us, we're identified with Christ. What a spiritual blessing that is to be immersed with him, to be, you know, identified with Christ. And then the next spiritual blessing that, that the Israelites received is there in verse 4. It says, and all ate the same spiritual food in verse 3. They all ate the same spiritual food. In Exodus 16, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This was their spiritual food. When it comes to the Corinthians, when it comes to ourselves, what spiritual food do we have? Because remember, they had spiritual blessings, we have spiritual blessings. And this is the message that I want to convey to you, because this is what Paul was sharing with the Corinthians. Look at the spiritual food that we have. Look at what it says in John chapter 6, verse 31 through 35. It says, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and it is written, 
He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't this amazing for us? You know what, that we have this spiritual manna, this spiritual bread, this bread of life that is Jesus Christ himself. The blessings that come from God for us as his people. And it doesn't end there. Let's look at the fourth spiritual blessing. And it says, and all drank the same spiritual food. For they drank of that spiritual rock and followed them and that rock was you know, when we look at, I'm sorry, this is the fifth, as we look at this here, we look at this spiritual blessing. And when we look at this spiritual blessing, we're talking about now a spiritual drink. It tells us that the Israelites drank of the spiritual rock. Remember when the Israelites were in the desert? They drank from the rock that produced water. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, it says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Oreb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So we see here that there was this spiritual drink, right? The spiritual drink that they had, but it goes beyond just the water that they were drinking. Because Paul uh, reminds them that, that they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. So that rock followed them. We know that they drank there from that rock, but Paul is really moving it one step forward and saying that it was the rock that followed them. And this rock was Christ. See, it was the rock. It was Christ that sustained them in the wilderness. For us and the Corinthians, what spiritual drink do we take? Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus gave us amazing insight on the spiritual water that he provides. Look at what Jesus said to her in John 4, verse 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So we see here this amazing what insight and this amazing blessing that we have. That with this water that we drink, we will have what? Everlasting life. That we will never thirst again. The water that Jesus gives us takes away the thirst from our hearts. How many of you, when you came to know Jesus Christ, did, were you finally satisfied? Was your thirst finally quenched? And that is because we were drinking now of this water. This water that he gave us. In spite, this is, what, this is where we're coming now, into the temptations, right? Because Paul wanted to first disclose all the spiritual blessings that the Israelites saw. And as I've given you all the spiritual blessings that we've received from the Lord, in spite of all these spiritual blessings, in spite of seeing the hand of God before their eyes, in spite of experiencing all these supernatural events, as God displayed and showed himself, did the Israelites drink of it? 
Did they serve him wholeheartedly? Were they successful in walking with the Lord? Let's look at this in verse 5. He says, but with, the mo- but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. But with most of them, God was not well p- pleased. I want you to know, the truth of the matter is that people can experience a physical delivery by the Lord, but if their hearts aren't fully surrendered, they will never experience a spiritual victory, the spiritual delivery. See, many of the Israelites experienced the physical delivery, but their hearts were still in Egypt. Does this speak to the many? I'm not talking about this church, but many today. You know, when we think about their hearts are still in the world. Egypt is a symbol of the world. You know, I gave this scripture this past Wednesday, and it's one of my favorite scriptures is from Proverbs. It says, Proverbs, in Proverbs 27, verse 19, it says, As in water, faith reflects faith, so man's heart reveals a man. I want you to know that the heart directs our mind and our will. If the heart is bad, so is the man. If the heart is good, then so is the man. Look at what it says in Luke 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. I want you to know that Paul reveals God wasn't pleased with most of them. And he says there in verse 5 that their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. When we look at Exodus 12, verse 37, it tells us that there were 600 men that left Egypt. These were those that were in bondage in Egypt. But this 600,000 didn't include men and women. So it was estimated that there were over 2 million Israelites, including men and women, that left Egypt. But when God says here that he was not pleased with most of them, I want you to know that there were all but two who entered the promised land after 40 years. Out of these original the spiritual blessings that they had, they still didn't enter into the promised land. See, the bodies were scattered what, in the wilderness. And this is what Paul is going to prove this point now. He's going to reveal through the following events that we're going to go that they brought death upon themselves because of sin. See, many of these Israelites never entered the promised land. Yes, they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt, but they never entered the land because of their moral failure. This is what we spoke of in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Now with him, now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Again, repeating the scripture that I read to you earlier. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness, unto whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of their sin. We're going to look now at the spiritual failures. We're going to look at the spiritual uh, failures. And these spiritual failures, as Paul is going to show us, 
if we want his kingdom, we're also going to have to do things as well. And this is the message that he wants to give us, that we can also fall and fail. See, none of us is above all of this, right? But there is a victory, and we're going to see this at the very end. So let's first look at the spiritual uh, failures. Remember, when we look at the Israelites, after experiencing the Lord's presence with them, the cloud, the fire, the tabernacle, even they even saw, uh, saw the Lord there at Mount Sinai. Remember when the Ten Commandments were given and the people were saying, we don't want to hear from his voice anymore. We want to hear from you. We're greatly afraid. Look at what they say in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 20. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. The Lord was on Mount Sinai. So they, then they said to Moses, you speak with us. And we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. The reminder for us as a church to always have a fear of the Lord. It will move you and drive you to not sin. Not only is it spoken here, but also in Proverbs. But going back to the fact that they experienced the Lord's deliverance, they experienced his natural supernatural provision, but yet they failed miserably. And so, let's look at these failures. Let's first read in verse 6. It says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Let's first talk about the first section. It says, Now these things become our examples. Paul illustrates their failures so that we can learn from their examples so that you and I do not do the same thing. Remember one thing about us, and I want to bring this to your attention, that you and I were dead at one time, and he brought us back to life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 confirms this, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead people. We were walking dead, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Everybody is born into sin. And as we see here, our three enemies will consume us. One is the enemy, two is the world, and three is the lust of our flesh. These enemies, what? Take control, and, they, and, and we're walking dead. But it's God's grace and mercy that saves us and so as we place our faith in him but peter go, takes it a step further and i love this about peter because he reveals that just as what paul is trying to emphasize here don't go back to the vomit don't go back to to this way to this lifestyle that you came out of look at what peter says in second peter chapter 2 verse 20 he says for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they escaped it. Now, because of their faith in Jesus, they were no longer what? No longer a part of that pollution, but it says they are again entangled in them and overcome. And the latter is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. They knew the way of righteousness. They believed in the Lord. Then having known it, to turn from the holy commandment, commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. 
a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her wailing, wailing in the mire, the, the pig. And so, as Peter reminds us, those that have been saved from sin, they return back to the vomit of sin. And so, the five spiritual blessings, remember we gave you those five spiritual blessings. Now we're going to give you five spiritual failures that the Israelites committed. And the first is here in verse 6. It says, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Let me share with you the first failure that they had. The first spiritual failure was this, as Paul reveals to us, the lust. The Israelites, Israelites lusted after evil things. We're told in Numbers 11, 4 through 5, that the Israelites had an intense craving for the pleasures of, it, of, of Egypt. They had an intense craving for the things of this world. And this was a, 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 a failure, a spiritual failure, right? I mean, why would they crave the things of this world if they were delivered from the world? Let me remind you what we're taught, what the Corinthians were taught, and as well as the church. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In James, in James reveals that if you love the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. See, you should only have one passion and one love. And you know who that is? That's God. Not the world and the things of the world. And, and yet, this is what the Israelites had. They had an intense craving for the pleasures of Egypt. The next spiritual failure that they experienced was here in verse 7. It says, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. See, Paul is speaking directly to the Corinthians. He's telling them, you don't become idolaters, as were some of them. Why? Because he wants to remind them of all the spiritual blessings you have. Why do you want to have a spiritual failure that, like they did? See, the idolatry that Paul had in mind here was from Exodus chapter 32. Let's read this, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that, we, that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a golden calf, a molded calf, I should say. It was out of gold. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, as we see here, and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down, go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You know, as we see this, uh, we know that in Corinth there was a lot of temple worship. 
there was a lot of of people that were worshiping. I mean, a lot of false gods that were worshiped. And who knows the type of, of idolatry that the Corinthians were still struggling with. Only Paul knew it, right? Because he revealed to them, don't become these idolaters. He understood the temptation that they had. There was Aphrodite. There was all these false gods that were being worshipped there. When it came to the Corinthians, and when it comes to us, and I should say when it comes to us, we may not have these type of idols, but ask yourself, who is on the throne of your heart? How do you know if someone or something is on the throne of your heart? What person or thing do you think about? or what thing has stolen your heart? The next moral failure that they have, or spiritual failure, is in verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality. He's letting the Corinthians know, don't commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the time when the Israelites committed sexual immorality with the women of Moab. And this is from Numbers 25, verse 1 and 2, where it says, Now Israel remained in acacia groves, and the people began to commit, uh, to commit harlotry, which is sexual intercourse with the women of Moab. And they invited the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. See, we have a warning here to the Corinthians not to commit sexual immorality. And we know that this is what's happening. This was happening in the church at Corinth, and we know that this is also happening in the church today. In 1 Corinthians, we talked about this a few weeks ago, in chapter 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. And this same warning is for the church today. How many so-called Christians are sleeping or living with their partner? They're not married to them, but yet they're sleeping with them. Think about that. Look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 say, uh, tells us. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is what, this was who we were before. We were we didn't know God and we committed these things, but now that we know God, why do we do this? Think about it. You know, all the spiritual blessings that they have, and yet they're still going back to the vomit of their sin life. Look at the next spiritual failure that they had. It's in verse 9. It says, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Paul reminds the Corinthians how the Israelites tempted Christ. How do we tempt Christ? How is it that any one of us can tempt Christ or test Christ? You know when it happens? When we try his patience. When you provoke the Lord with all your complaining, with your rebellion, with your impatience, with your dissatisfaction, with your lack of faith, your lack of trust. 
And the example that Paul used was from Numbers 21, 4 through 7. And, and this is what we're talking about now. It says, Then they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea, speaking of the Israelites, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. They're rebellion, their dissatisfaction, they're complaining. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the Lord came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Remember, as a people who trust the Lord, we are a people to be complaining. You know what? If, if our constant behavior is one of complaining, of one of rebellion, of one of impatience, of one of dissatisfaction, is this truly reflective of a heart that believes and trusts in the Lord? According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The next one, the next spiritual failure comes to us in verse 10. It says, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is the fifth moral or spiritual failure that they had, complaining. The illustration to prove this is what Paul gives us here from Numbers 16 verse 41. It says, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. How many of us, without really thinking about it, and I truly believe that this is going to be a year for all of us where the Lord reveals those things that we're ignorant to, or those sins that we don't pay such much emphasis on, that we can't see them because of the, the issues of the heart. You know, people can see the outward sin, which is, you know, if you're fornicating, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're lying, if you're, you know what, if you're not a, a person that is honest and, and a person that is doing drugs and alcohol and, and committing adultery and murder. I mean, all these things are easily seen, but what about the inward sin, the complaints that are in our heart? As a people of God, we're not called to be complainers. This was a spiritual failure that they experienced. Look at what we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. It says, Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul is giving himself, he's giving us his heart here. He's saying that, that whatever state he is, he is content. I know how to be abased. In other words, not have anything. And I know how to, be, how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are we content with where we are? If you truly believe that God is sovereign over your life, and if He knows what's best for you, should we complain or should we trust Him? Are we complainers like these people? How many are complaining about their circumstances? about their lives, about they, what they don't have and what they want. But as Paul says, he was content. 
You know what? When I read this, I was really ministered to by this. I was really moved by this. And I believe that this is what God is wanting to speak to me about. And I think not only me, but there's many of us here that are constantly wanting what we don't have and what God hasn't called for us. And when we look at all of these things, right, I want you to know that as Paul said in verse 5 that the bodies were scattered in the wilderness. If half of you have died, many of you have seen Christ alive. Many of you have died there in the wilderness. And then here comes the encouragement for us. And I want you to know that this is a deep, uh, a profound encouragement. It says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. God is so gracious in his heart. I want you to know that as a church, we're talking about spiritual blessings, but I want you to see how God is so gracious with you. The things that happened to the Israelites were examples for us. And they're also warnings for us. He's allowing us to learn from these things and to warn us not to allow ourselves to fall into the same trap. And Paul gives us something that maybe many overlook, but as he says in verse 11, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I want you to know that we're in the church age, and Paul is reminding us, or the Holy Spirit through Paul is reminding us that the end is about to come, that more is required If we believe that the Lord is returning soon, then guess what? God might be saying, watch for the rapture. We're gonna be li- we want to be living for the glory of God, and we want others to partake and to be taken to the Lord when we're taken to him too. Are we still standing as saints? Are we still alive in such a way? Or are we just complacent and passive and lost our minds? Are you living for the glory of God? Are you forgetting the fact that Jesus is going to come back soon? And it's like if you know that somebody is going to rob your house, you're going to make sure that that the police are there. You're going to make sure that he's not able to succeed. You're going you're gonna to do things that, that would prevent this from happening. Are we doing things to prevent ourselves from missing out? the Lord's return. You know, as I mentioned to you, we're going to get now into the uplifting side of this text. And this is the last section of today's study. It's about the temptation. Let's read this in verses 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The first thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to go quickly through this. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, if you think you are standing fair, be careful that you don't fall. If you think that you are standing fair, be careful that you don't fall. What does this mean? I want you to know that your strength is your weakness. Remember that. Your strength is your weakness. Where you think that you are the strongest, 
it can be the very area that will bring you joy. And this is the area that you and I are to be watchful with, never be overconfident. If I, I have seen people tell me that they've overcome certain weaknesses, but I only see them falling back down. Remember that. Just know that you are weak. And just know that you are capable of falling, that you and I need a Savior, that we need Jesus Christ. That we can do all things through Him, and apart from Him we can't do anything. Remember that the Israelites were in the presence of the Lord, yet they fell because of their lust, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting strife, and complaining. If you and I, if we're not abiding in Christ, we can also experience a falling away because of moral failures. And this is what Jesus told us in John 15, verses 5 through 6, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch. He was connected at one time, but now he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they will burn. Remember that. If we're not abiding, we can experience this falling away also. But when it comes to temptation, this is what's so amazing. This is why you and I can experience victory over temptation. I'm going to give you three points on temptation coming here from verse 13. Three points about temptation from verse 13. And the first is this. Every one of us will be tempted. Every one of us will experience temptation. We will go through temptation. We will face temptation. Don't think that you won't ever be tempted. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I thought, you know what? I'm on easy road now. I am gonna, it's going to be easy for me, right? It actually became, it, 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 you know what? I was faced with so many more temptations before me. And yet, you know what? As we've seen here, as we're going to go into the next, uh, the next, uh, the second point on temptation, it's here that t- the temptations are not beyond your power. Remember that. Point number two, the temptations are not beyond your power. In other words, no temptation is beyond your power to say no to them. When someone says, I couldn't help myself, it's not that they couldn't help themselves. It's that they chose not to. Remember that they chose not to. If they are a child of God, they chose not to. Remember that. Their lust was uncontrolled. Their desires were not satisfied with God. They decided not to do it. They chose not to do this. They chose to fall into their temptations. And then the third point is this, and this is what's so amazing, that there is a way of escape. Every temptation has a way of escape, as we are told there. It is provided by the Lord. It's there. You just need to look for it. Remember that it's there. You just need to look for it. And you know what? Remember Joseph, and this is a perfect illustration here. Remember uh, um, Potiphar's wife? You know what? She lusted after him. She went after him. He was a young man. He was in the prime of his life. And yet, when the woman tried to rape him, she found him. She found a way of escape. Whenever you're tempted with anything, There is always a way of escape. Don't think that there is no way of escape. There always is. It's up to you. Are you going to look for it? And are you going to do it? Or are you just going to say, I can't help myself? Which for us as Christians, remember this. 
Without Christ, we can do nothing but brute test. We can do all things. Without Christ, we can do nothing but brute test. We can do all things. You know what? There's one final illustration that I'm going to give you, and I want to leave you with this because I truly believe that, that it's important. As we saw jo- Joshua and Caleb enter into the promised land, I share this with you because I want you to know that just as Joshua and Caleb didn't fall into their temptation, you and I are given this illustration that we won't either. Remember, I mentioned to you that there was only two that entered the promised land. That was Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers 13, the Lord spoke to Moses to send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which the Lord gave to him. Twelve men were chosen. In those 12 men, Joshua and Caleb were two of them. There was two out of the 12. While these men returned after 40 days to report their findings. And every single one of these 12 men, they said that the land is flowing with milk and honey. They all said, it's wonderful, it's an amazing land. But 10 of them said that the people are giants. They're giants. But Caleb speaks up in Numbers 13, verse 30. He says, let's go up and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the other five, the other ten, they discourage the people. And then Joshua and Caleb decide one more time to speak up. It says in Numbers 14, verses 8 through 9, it says, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Two people were the only ones that had faith. They knew that the Lord could do it. What I love about what they said here in Joshua 14, verse 9, it says that the people and the giants were what? Giants. What is a giant? What he's trying to tell us is Joshua and Caleb were saying, we can eat from the milk and honey of the land. I'm sorry, we will eat the milk and we will be will eat from it by faith and our faith will be strengthened and this faith remained in Caleb 40 years later Caleb is around 85 years of age look at what he says when Joshua says okay where do you want what land do you want Caleb you've been through a lot I will give you your choice what land do you want and look at what he tells Joshua in Joshua 14 verse 12 now therefore give me the mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day For you heard in that day how the Anakim, these were the giants were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. This is incredible. This inspires me to have this faith at 85 years of age. Caleb was not about to finish. Just, you know what? I'm just going to rest. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, he says, you know what? I want to keep walking by faith in the Lord. The Lord has so much in store for me. He has so much to give me. Caleb was a giant killer. And the giants, the temptations that come before us. But we trust the Lord that he will defeat them. Remember the scriptures, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Remember this, without Christ we can do nothing. 
but through Christ we can do all things. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for such an amazing portion of Scripture, Lord, to remind us, Lord, of all the spiritual blessings.